I think at this moment for the planet, um, we each need to think really carefully about how we optimize fulfilling our own creative and scholarly passions with making a difference for the world. Uh, and for me, that is in helping to shape an institution that can make more difference than any other institution in the world. What's going on, everybody? You are now listening to Dr. Thomas Rashard Easley. I'm a hip-hop artist, forester, and assistant dean of community and inclusion at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. Welcome to the Heartwood Podcast. Now, on this episode, I speak with the Ingrid C. Indy Burke, our very own dean at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. Now, Indy is an ecosystem ecologist whose work has focused on carbon and nitrogen cycling and the semi-arid rangeland ecosystems and the effects of land management and climate variability on these systems. I know that's a lot. But at the same time, Indy also speaks honestly about the challenges of being a dean at one of the best environmental schools in the country and bringing in her own passions to the role. As you listen to this, pay attention to what she shares with us, and especially at the end of the episode. And as always, send your feedback and suggestions to thomas.easley at yale.edu. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Indy, thank you for your time. Thank you for being with us. I know that you're busy. I appreciate you. And you're my supervisor, so I definitely appreciate you in more than one way. I want to ask you a question first about like your path to coming here. Uh, I know you're the first dean that's a woman. I, I want to say it like that, you know, because you have had such a, a successful career from the Northwest uh, to East Coast to here. And I'm curious, like, how did you, how did you become a dean? How did you get here? It seems like a long ways, but um, I did my, I started my undergraduate work in creative writing at Middlebury. I, I wanted to be a poet. And uh, all my friends were very outdoorsy and I was very outdoorsy. And so I was taking some environmental courses because they were and because I was interested. And uh, I took a field course. It's one of the reasons I'm really passionate about field stations and, sure. our, and our school forests. I took a field course in winter ecology, mm -hmm. and it got down to minus 40. And we were in the field. It was really cold. And we were, the professor had us drill a hole in the ice. And he said, you know, it's wintertime, and there's a lot of ice and snow on this lake, and blue light gets through. And what algae need is blue light to photosynthesize. And there's water under that ice. And I want to know if the algae are photosynthesizing. Because we don't know. Nobody knows. Let's find out. And I thought, whoa, science is creative. I always thought, you know, I could be a creative writer, and then there was science where you memorize things. 
And I realized you could be outdoors and creating questions and answering questions at the same time, and I was hooked. That was it. So I changed my major in my, at the end of my junior year oh. um, <laughs> to mm -hmm. biology. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and and ever, since, ever since then, uh, I've been in environmental work. Uh, so I started my doctorate at... Dartmouth and my advisor moved to Wyoming. You'd probably be interested in this. So I go to this stuffy Eastern school and my advisor was head of the department and he'd been head of the department for 14 years and he, he said, I know you just started your doctorate here, but don't tell anybody. I think I'm going to get the job of chair of the botany department at the University of Wyoming. Um, and I said, okay, sounds like fun. So when he moved, I went with him. That's how I ended up going west. Mm -hmm. So there's this really important role of serendipity and of teachers in our lives. And this is something that's always really inspired me. I mean, that professor standing on the lake changed everything about where I went in my career in about an hour of exposure to just a really talented teacher. And then this role of serendipity, this my advisor is a doctoral student who had a passion to go west and answer different questions, um, took me with him. I mean, I didn't plan that. It's just that was where my funding came from, and I had to go. Uh, and I never looked back from going west. I loved the west. Um, I studied sagebrush in the west and I discovered a love for open spaces. I had spent a lot of time on the water as a kid, and I think there's some comparisons to be made there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then. I got hired for my postdoc by Colorado State University. And uh, uh, during my postdoc, I got offered a position at the College of Natural Resources there, um, largely because I was a woman. Okay. And there was a college, uh, at that time it was Forestry and Natural Resources, 86 white men, and they wanted to have a woman on the faculty. And they hired me into the forestry department. I had never worked in a forest because I was a woman. And they said, we heard you do some GIS. Maybe you could teach GIS. I'm a biogeochemist, by the way. I study nitrogen cycling. Anyway, there were some rough parts about being hired into an affirmative action position that really affected who I am and how I think about diversity. Gotcha. I... Um, they, uh, the faculty were told that I was an extra and that no faculty positions would disappear if they hired me. And the next year the dendrologist retired and they were told you have too many faculty for students, you can't hire a new one. And so I was really resented by the foresters because I took up a slot and because I didn't know anything about forests. And and I, ha you know, and I felt like I was holding the burden of representing womanhood in the whole college. And every female graduate student came to me for mentoring, so there were 80 of them at a time. You know, they were all coming in my door. Meanwhile, I felt like I better prove that I'm good enough because I think I just got my job because of my gender, not because of my quality. So mm -hmm. there, I felt inordinately pressured to achieve and to sort of show that I was as good as or better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I was invited to be on committees because there were no women on the committees. Inside, I was invited to be on National Academy committees because I was the only female ecosystem ecologist except for one other who's very famous. So I, you know, anyway, I was invited to do things that I sort of had no business being invited to during the course of my career because I was one of very few women in the discipline. Um, and so I have always been really concerned of, with the people that I mentor that they say no to things that come along, that they understand that the burden that they carry um, is internal and shouldn't be placed on them from external sources. Um, so anyway, I just mm -hmm. somehow we got there with my career, but I think uh, some of the ways I feel about diversity really matter. Mm -hmm. We, we uh, eventually became a little bit more diverse. I was there at CSU for 20 years, and then uh, during those 20 years, the first 10 years or so, I was really focused on research because, again, that's the way you are evaluated in academia. So I wanted to be the best, the best, the best, because I was the only woman. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. published the hell out of everything. I led a number of interdisciplinary programs. Um, and after I got tenure, I got really interested in teaching. I felt this urge to make more of a difference in the world. So I shifted, uh, no, I added, I didn't really shift. Um, and this has always been a problem. You add things on to what you're doing, and then it becomes just like way too much. Oh, yes. <laughs> but but uh, I, I went to a National Academy uh, workshop on teaching in science, and I just got so interested in active learning and in pedagogy. And so I started teaching big science courses for undergraduates, for freshmen and sophomores, um, using active learning and different kinds of pedagogy, because I thought I can you know, these are the voters of tomorrow. I can make sure that everybody understands environmental science. Mm -hmm. I did that for another 10 years. And then I thought, I'm really interested in outreach. <laughs> now I want to change the world in a different way. And Wyoming started to recruit me to, to run their School of Environment and the Ruckles House Institute. And Wyoming's the only land-grant institution. It's the only four-year institution in the state. And when there's any environmental issue that comes up, that's where the legislators or the land managers go for information. So I thought this is a great opportunity to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So I was at Wyoming for eight years. We built a really great program. And then, um, and then I saw this opportunity here. And I thought, it's great having the Rocky Mountain West as your platform, but Yale's platform is the world. This is going to be exciting. Mm -hmm. So that's the career story. Ooh, OK. Uh that was a lot. That, I know, that, that was too long no, for a no, podcast, no, no, no. but okay. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I mean, that was a lot because you talked about so many things first. I didn't know about the creative writing. <laughs> you know, like the uh, coming to academia, I mean, starting there, and then your junior year, <laughs> the end of your junior year, okay, yeah, we're going to make a change. And how that change has been with you, you know, um, ever since. But the other thing, you know, how your experience was also impacted when you were in in Colorado as the only woman uh, in that department and and I and I appreciate you for sharing because you shared that that impacted you and your your career you know and how you move so I have kind of like just a side question about that and then we'll come back to the other to the other three that I had just how I'm, I hope, hope makes sense I want it's gonna be kind of abstract do you use the imagery of that motivation from when that professor 
taught y'all and cutting a hole in the ice, you know, as what drives you, uh, especially with vision and thoughts? And or is it that experience of, and please, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but that kind of, I mean, you hustled, you grind, you ground when you were, at, you know, at a, um, when you were in Colorado. Does that more so drive you? You know, because I see one is, and then I see another one is like, focus. And I was just curious, you know, because it seemed like they both had these monumental impacts on you. Uh, and I just wanted to ask you, uh, was one or the other, or is it both that, you know, uh, that could drive that? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll answer it in maybe a different way than you asked it, but, okay. but just, um, is it the creativity that inspires me, or is it ambition? Mm. That's driving me. Mm -hmm. It's part part mm. of the way you're asking this. That's it. <clears throat> um, and you know, ambition will get you through a lot, but uh, mm -hmm. if it's not fun, yeah, uh, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, uh, being inspired to make a difference or come up with an answer to a question I'm really curious about mm -hmm. is what keeps me going. Okay. Uh, you know, those some of those years at CSU. There was some um, feeling like I was making a difference early on, but it was mostly um, it was mostly more driving to make sure that I was successful. Okay. Okay. That I could do this, but but most of my career, those pre-tenure years were rugged. They were mm -hmm. really rugged. Okay. Um, but most of the rest, it's inspired by feeling like, am I making a difference here? Am I? inspiring somebody else to change their career or inspiring somebody else to think about going in a different direction mm -hmm. or or answering a question you know how, how how does this work okay yes well then that's a great segue because in your short time at Yale you've made a lot of changes positive changes I'm not going to say moves you know, you made changes <laughs> and I came in uh, last year January uh, and uh, and it's been and I mean this in the night, it's been a peaceful, and I mean it, roller coaster since I've been here. You know, we're going up and down, and we, and we do a number of things together, which I do appreciate. And so I like that I can come to you, I can talk to you, you know, and text or email, Slack, you know, which is an app, everyone, not slacking, uh, you know, send a message or something. But how would you describe your leadership style? Like, you know, like that's kind of like a little bit of an essence of how I see your, I see your leadership style. I can come to you. You know, I can talk to you. Uh, I can reach you. Uh, I try to be mindful of your schedule because I know that you're the busiest person here. You know, but how will you describe your your leadership style? I think it's bringing a team together to work on shared goals, um, and uh, I never drive forward alone. I try and figure out what the group cares about and try and get sure that everyone feels invested. Mm -hmm. okay. And it's really important that everybody feels invested. And feeling invested means they have to help define the solution. Okay. Um, and so that's what the strategic planning was really about, was getting everyone to feel, to, to be able to articulate where we wanted to go. And then, and, and for each person, how do I connect to that? And how does that reflect on me? If we're successful in this, how, do, how does, that make me more successful. Uh, and so we, we pull together and we move forward. Okay. Have you seen, has, has your style, um, you know, that, that way of moving, has it always been easily accepted with 
people that you were leading? Uh, has it been challenged from time to time? And I think the uh, selective pressures for success among faculty and particularly at an Ivy League institution are about singular accomplishments. And so a challenge is really uh, when we have selected against generosity to some extent in career advancement, uh, finding ways to get people to connect their success to the success of an organization is sometimes a challenge. Um, and I'd say it's the sort of the constant part. There's nobody who really wants to be alone. Everybody really does want to be a part of something more important than just themselves. But, but f faculty have not been trained that way. They've been trained to be individually successful, bring in big grants, write papers and publish them in the right journals, right. et cetera. Mm. So it's helping people remember that they're part of an institution that needs them. Okay, now you can see Obviously, because you've gone, as you said, those pre-tenure days were, and that's a sloth, that's a struggle, you know, like going, going through that. And in 2019, you also, you know, recognized the, the, the different ways, I think, in uh, like people are communicating and talking to each other. Do, do you find it easier to convey that message of uh, changing modalities in the way of getting information across, or do you find that people still want to kind of stay, you know, I guess in the, uh, I guess in the traditional flow um, of, of scholarship, I guess, as we are dealing with the environment and different things uh, around forest or our, our disciplines here in the school? I don't quite understand your question. I got it. Um, what I mean is, uh, do you, um, do you find it easier to convey the message that the messaging and different things are changing, or is it easier, more so leaning on the traditional ways of, you know, of, of getting tenure to get the message across to communicate, you know, to found? Oh, I think yeah. making sure that we talk about building on our strengths, building on our legacy is really important. So you have to pull okay. those together all the time. Yeah. You have to pull them together. I think the hard part with the communication is that as a hybrid school, uh, we aspire to be training professional leaders in the environment. At the same time, we aspire to be the top environmental scholars in the world. And that those are two different sets of activities for faculty to be engaged in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that those two worlds are actually harder to merge and harder to communicate across than anything else in the school right now. I think that's the fundamental disconnect that we have here right now. Ooh, okay. So then... Just a couple more questions then. Now I want to ask about challenges then. And I think you just described one. <sighs> um, and you, as, as a dean, I know it's, you're dealing with the entire school, faculty, staff, students, even the staff that clean the buildings, you know, like a number of things. Could you describe what you think are, I'll, I'll say two of your toughest challenges um, in this position to get things moving or to, 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 to move things along, being that you've made a lot of change in less than two years. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think the most important goal, and we agreed together as a community, the most important goal for this school is increasing our diversity. Mm -hmm. And um, moving that ball forward has a number of constraints that are really difficult to get over. 
And the first is the pipeline. So for instance, with diversifying the faculty, there just aren't very many top scholars in the environment who come from underrepresented groups. Mm. And so we have this pipeline constraint mm -hmm. that is difficult. Right. We have a money constraint um, that, I mean, we're a self-support school. And mm -hmm. any new faculty position costs us $6 million to fund over the long term. Right. Um, and you know, we already have a mostly tenured faculty, so I have to raise money to go make that happen. And combined with that, we have this um, uh, beautifully impatient set of students who want it to change tomorrow. <laughs> and I don't blame them, and I do too. Right. Um, but I've got all these constraints, and we can't move forward as fast as they want to, which is during their school lifetime while they're here. Gotcha. So, you know, students come and they say, oh my God, this place is not very diverse. I want it to change. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great, and we're going to work on it. And the best we can do is it'll probably look different in four years, mm -hmm. you know, or five years, which mm -hmm. to them is a lifetime mm -hmm. away. Right. <laughs> um, and so it's a it's a challenge helping the students understand uh, that we can use their energy in really constructive ways to make things happen that they will never benefit from mm -hmm. personally. Gotcha. Mm. <laughs> so right. that's difficult. Ooh. But the way you articulated that, and I and I appreciate that, like that that's a that to me sounds like very self-aware, also um, very understanding of the different paths that the students have to take, the faculty have to take, and the staff have to take. And so to me, I see you as carrying that all the time. <laughs> like carrying all these bags of possible paths and trying to make it work. Oh, and address things when they come up. Like I, I see you like doing this dance um, every day, I feel. And so now I have a question about how diversity, you see diversity playing into this. And this would be, this is my next last question. As a dean or as our dean, as the dean, how do you see diversity truly being important in advancing uh, improving our environment advancing I think that what our students are here for you know like they're here to be these strong these great leaders uh, our faculty are doing great scholarship how does diversity I think play out in that or play, play a part in that there is tons of research that shows that more diverse groups, more diverse boards, more diverse committees, more diverse groups of any kind are much more productive and more creative than those that are unidimensional. Uh, and I mean, we just know we're going to solve problems better if we have many different perspectives and backgrounds. And there's a critical, there's a, there's a business reason Mm -hmm. to be more diverse, and then there's a heartfelt reason to be more diverse, and that's that we're not providing the world with uh, environmental problem solvers who can understand the problems if we're not embracing the diversity that exists in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it's just wrong to be so narrow and to not have a diverse faculty. It's mm. just not okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> and we're not, we won't be able to attract students mm -hmm. 
from different kinds of backgrounds unless they see a diverse faculty and feel like there's a path forward to success. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, uh, it's great to have a more diverse student body, and we want a more diverse student body, but we'll hit a threshold every time yes. if we don't have a more diverse faculty. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So if you'll if you just let me, I just, I just need to kind of, I just want to hit a couple bullet points as we approach the, the, this, this last question. Creative writing has this experience, changes at the end of your junior year. That's three years in, in college and then making a change. Following a chair to another part of the country, getting established, getting a new job, basically changing things in this department and building your career, and a, a number of things in between. And now you're here and you're working with, and what I appreciate is that you said beautiful and impatient. I wish people see that, um, you see that you have to have multiple lenses when dealing with people, yeah. like because, because you did that. You appreciate the scholarship of the faculty, but you also know we gotta, you know, like we need some change. And so I wanna ask you, because I don't think people get a chance to ask you this. What would you like people to know about your philosophy as it comes to scholarship and diversity in the environment? What would you like people to know? Because you shared so many things that I actually don't think people know that have crafted, you know, who you are now, which is outstanding. And so what would you like people to know? Your philosophy, diversity, environment. You should have given me prep for this about that. Um, I think at this moment for the planet, um, we each need to think really carefully about how we optimize fulfilling our own creative and scholarly passions with making a difference for the world. Uh, and for me, that is in helping to shape an institution that can make more difference than any other institution in the world. Okay. I didn't get to diversity in that sentence, but we will never have as big of an impact as I envision without being a diverse and inclusive community. Because we will be working apart from one another instead of together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, Dean Burke, let me just, I'm looking at my co over there. Okay. Uh, are there any questions or any ideas, you know, just based on, you know, the like, what, six questions, you know, that we had? And is there anything that I may, I'm sure there's plenty left out because you have such a decorated career, but is there anything that you would, I would say, want to add? especially for the purposes of this, the conversation? Yeah, we, I mm -hmm. really spent all this time talking about my career okay. and uh, the school and my mm -hmm. philosophy and the environment and how we're gonna influence the world. Uh, but there's other parts of me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my career yes. Yes. actually is my highest priority, but mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. while I, before I got tenure, I had two children. Huh. Um, and they have been really important in my okay. life. They continue to be. 
my daughter works for a startup that does hydroponic agriculture out of Laramie, Wyoming. Okay. Uh, and hmm. anyway, so I'm passionate about my children and mm -hmm. I love to be outdoors as much as possible and this job keeps me inside a lot. I am in a lot of meetings and I'm on the computer a lot. Um, and I miss the West. I'm just going to say it out loud. Mm -hmm. I traded horses. My husband and I gave up our horses and came here. Mm -hmm. We have kayaks and we do other things, but I miss the West deeply. Okay. And there's a transparency about the culture in the West that I miss and that I hope we can have more of in this school. Okay. If I can, okay, hold on. If I can just, please, just, I, 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 I know you have to go, if you just had like, say, five more minutes. You just went into a different um, place, and, and, and I appreciate that. I, I always want to, you know, like just kind of re, uh, stay respectful and in a consistent frame, but you brought family in. Um, many people, we're all layered, we're all intersectional beings, right? And you have other interests. Um, how, you as a dean, uh, when working with, with people, and you as a human, no, as a human, okay, that's at the top level of leadership, do, um, do you find yourself trying to maybe talk to people in the other areas or avenues of their life if you're trying to connect with them to get them to do more things professionally or to feel more welcome in the workplace? You know, as, as you mentioned, family, you miss the West. I'm from the South. I miss the heat. Yeah. <laughs> I miss the heat for real. I miss the heat. Wait a few months, then you won't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but like, do you, you know, like, uh, you know, like, uh, Chandler, I know the answer because you do it with me, but like, do you use those other layers to connect with the people who work with you? Oh, yeah, you need to know what people are caring about in the rest of their lives. And, mm -hmm. you know, many of our staff have small children mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the last week, School's closed, mm -hmm. you know, and you just gotta keep your knees bent because your executive assistant might not, won't be there if the school's closed and your chief of staff won't be there if daycare's closed. And, um, you know, and it's important that they're doing that. They're gonna be ever so much more effective mm -hmm. in the workplace if they don't feel pressured to uh, have to make choices between family and work. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think giving people as much lead as you can and understanding their personal lives is really important. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to feel and experience the pressure I did pre-tenure with two small children, two babies 16 months apart, and trying to publish three to six papers a year. Oh. So, I mean, I really want people to be happy okay. when they work here. And they're going to be happy if they know they're supported in their homes, at their home lives. So. Hardwood is recorded at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies in New Haven, Connecticut. Hosted by Dr. Thomas Richard Easley and produced and edited by Mr. Chris Perkins. We'll see you next week. <laughs>